been moved, but you still got to find them. So, but um, this morning, we're, we're, as we approach the Word, I just want to welcome you again and thank you for coming by this morning. I know it's a holiday weekend and the weather's nice and people are up about doing things. The last hurrah before uh, fall, the unofficial end of summer kind of comes, right, as we call it. Um, but so good to see everybody. Praise the Lord. And, and just to be together, to, to hear from the Lord and seek the Lord. And hopefully when we leave, we're challenged and by the Holy Spirit, we're empowered to live the way he wants us to. That's really what, what uh, it's all about. Amen. To reflect the glory of God. So this morning we're in Genesis and um, I was reflecting this past week and I was talking to Linda in the office and I was just asking, because I said, you know, this, this, what's, what's coming here and where I've been stuck and what I'm putting together, I'm just wondering, haven't I, I mean, it sounds familiar to what I might have done recently. And she looked it up and she found something and it was actually two years ago um, that we looked at the life of Joseph and we addressed, I had even forgotten the sermon. I mean, honestly, I had to look through all my old notes, but I, she pulled up a podcast and it was on Joseph and how he overcame loneliness and some of the principles that he applied in his life and how he was able to do that um, as a righteous guy and a guy of integrity. And so um, it's, it's a little different angle today, um, but we're looking at the life of Joseph again. And so totally different angle and, and approach here, but and our focus really is in Genesis chapter 39 on, but the story of Joseph starts in Genesis chapter 37, and it goes all the way to chapter 50 at the end of Genesis. Um, and there's a lot of amazing, powerful things there that go on and transpire in Genesis. And um, a lot of us are familiar with Joseph's story, and because of time and just by way of introduction, just to outline for you a little bit, um, Joseph was this individual, of course, we know, uh, born in Jacob, and there's a whole colored history as to even what went on with his father's life and his, and his parents and, and, and how up to the point that he was born, what went on. And I encourage you to check it out. It's interesting. I'll put it that way. Um, and yet God has a plan. But, but Joseph was born, and, and um, of course we know his story. In chapter 37, he's born, and he's growing up, and he's, Jacob, he's a favorite son. He's a favored son. Um, the coat of many colors, or the very ornamental robe that he had, that his father had for him, and he was always favored. And Joseph, um, you know, his story, going from this favorite son to this jealousy and hatred that was was growing and festering inside of his brothers. And all because at a young age, Joseph, who is, has life pretty easy, he has this dream and he, in this dream, he sees and he realizes and he shares with others that they're going to bow down to him. There's these, these, these two dreams. One where the, the sheaves, they, they bow down to him. He's in the middle and they, they worship him in worship, basically. And then there's another one where the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars all bow down, which is his mom and dad. And as his father said, and your, your brothers are going to all bow to you? What do you think this is? And they're frustrated, angry. And of course, I, I would be too. He's got 11 older siblings. And he's thrown in a pit by them because they come up with a plan. They want to they take him out. Like, they, they actually want to do away with him physically. They want to murder him. But someone has sense, and at least they're a little bit of a conscience, and says, no, we can't do that. No way, he's our own blood. And Reuben says, listen, why don't we just throw him in the pit, spare his life, and, and just throw him down there. That, that'll be fine. And they throw him into this pit, a dry cistern. And then, as soon as they do that, there is a whole caravan of slave traders, uh, the Ishmaelites, the Midianites. They're coming by, and they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. I mean... See you later, bro. Good riddance. So I have to think about you. You're gone. If we don't see you, whatever, um, he's gone. He's, he's off and he's, and he's there. And then, of course, we know he's sold there and, uh, to, uh, eventually. And in chapters 37, 
of Genesis, the story picks up, and I'll just read the first six verses kind of as a platform, and then I don't have a text in the bulletin only because really it's the rest of the book of Genesis. And I'll just reference a few scriptures there as we go through. But in chapter 39 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. This is when he was sold by his brothers. And Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Very, very important phrase. And the Lord was with Joseph is repeated in a few of the chapters um, after this chapter in in the accounts. And you'll find that the writer Moses, he includes there that the Lord was with Moses. Very important verse. And, and, and he's prospering and, prospering and through everything he's going through, the Lord is with Moses. Can I just make a little side note before we read the rest of the passage? If you are a Christian, if you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior and the Spirit of God living in you and you're a child of God, do you know that the Lord is with you? Doesn't that mean anything to you? The Lord is with you. He's, it's no, it's really, it's no different than Joseph. The idea, I know this is in a special certain way for these special occasions when he's in Potiphar's house and he's in Israel. I understand that. Just like David when he was in Babylon. I understand, or with Nebuchadnezzar, I should say. I understand all that. But listen, the Lord is with you. The God is with you. And everywhere you go, no matter if it's good, bad, ugly, whatever it is, the Lord is with you. You know, I know that because he made a simple promise and he doesn't go back on that. In Matthew chapter 28, after he gives us our mission, he says, I am with you till the end. And he means it. Whether you see him or not. Every night in our prayer with our boys, we always say, thank you, God, that even we don't, we don't see you. And I say this every night because I want them to remind and myself, even though we don't see you, God, I thank you you're with us. And you can ask them. It's every night. They're probably getting tired of hearing that all these years. But I don't care because it's the truth. You don't have to see God to know that he's with you. He's made a promise. He's true to his word. And he's with you. His spirit living in you and his presence around you. He's with you. He's not leaving you. So the Lord is with Joseph. In verse 2. And so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him. And how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he owned, he put in his charge. It came about that, it came about that from that time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. We have a trickle effect going on here. Where Potiphar is blessed, everything he's doing, all that's going on, and he's receiving the blessing because of God's hand and God's presence with and in Joseph. It's a pretty awesome thing. It's pretty powerful. It's, it's, it's just flowing out of him and off of him, if you want to put it that way in this case. Okay? And it says here, And the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned, and and a house, and in the field. And in verse 6, So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. Essentially, it was like, well, eventually it became like the whole world when God kept promoting him. And he had everything at his disposal. He could could dictate what was happening. And it says here that Pharaoh, with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. It's all yours, Joseph. Whatever you want to do, how you want to do it, go for it. I trust you. It's all good. All I want to worry about is ordering what I want for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It's all he worried about in his palace. Here's the last phrase. Now Joseph, the separate sentence, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And I don't know about the guys here, but for me, 
when I hear about handsome and former appearance, I look in the mirror and I'm like, my little spindly legs and my little tiny biceps, and I'm like, there is nothing handsome about that. <laughs> but Joseph, just like Daniel, another parallel, very attractive, well-built, smart, the whole deal, wise. I mean, just, he was, and got all over him. Don't make too many comparisons. But anyway, he, 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 the Bible notes that he was handsome in a form of appearance. And there's a reason for that, because it comes up in our story in just a few verses. But see, we live in this world, and we've always heard these analogies, even with Joseph, how life, you know, we're on the road, the journey, the road of life, the sea of life. And I, I'll kind of step, I'll stop on that sea of life thing, because when we're going through this life, even as a Christian, there are times where there are storms, and sometimes they last forever, and sometimes they last They're very brief. Sometimes they're very violent and rough, and it feels like you're never going to come back up after your head goes down. Uh, Maybe, yeah, and maybe it's been very recent for some of you. Sometimes it comes, and it's just calm, and you feel great, and you're coasting through, and you're just kind of sailing by, and nothing's bothering you. You're enjoying the scenery, and everything is great. And then all of a sudden, without warning, boom, this rogue wave comes, and it capsizes your little sailboat you're in, and all of a sudden, things aren't so smooth and calm again. It's, you know, it's called life. And good things, bad things, everything in between comes and goes at different times, phases, for different durations. And it's just how life is, whether you're a Christian or you're not. And so when we think about that, I, I just want to propose this morning and thinking about Joseph's life and how his, his sailing was not always very smooth. It was. There were periods of long sailing and prosperity and things were peaceful and great, but it wasn't always great. So how did he stay unsinkable? And I just want to propose a few ways of how you and how to stay unsinkable. The idea that God doesn't want us to always be in the sea with the water up to our head and we're just going like this the whole time trying to survive. God wants us to be above the water. Sometimes we fall out, right? But there are ways to get right out and to get back on and go. And how do we maintain some kind of stability, consistency, so that really, if I could even go this far to say... That you and me, and that as Christians, we would be unshakable. We would be unshakable. That there's a consistent faith where our head is more than just above the water, but we're actually unsinkable and we can never go down. Now, really, we're not going to sink. Jesus is with us, right? But we have these times where we go down and we suffer and we pay the price for it a lot of times, don't we? And, And we feel the pain and the struggle when we're trying to tread water or get above the water when things get rough. So I just want to say the first thing, I propose that that caused and allowed Joseph to be unsinkable was that he was responsible. He was responsible. Now, if there's any word, well, there are many, but uh, this is one of the words today that is almost as bad as back in the day because it's, now it's not even bad to say anymore. So often you hear like a four-letter word. Responsibility. Be responsible. Because it carries with it the idea of accountability trustworthiness, reliability. And it's a word that is not popular. To, to, people want to shirk it everywhere they go. They want to pass it off to somebody else. They want to blame shift. They want to pass off responsibility. Responsibility and responsible people are hard to find. The evidence of that is in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 6. This is what the Bible says. Many a man proclaims his own loyalty... Then, like in the same breath, in the next sentence, it says, but who can find a trustworthy man? People are always saying, you can count on me, I'm trustworthy, I'm responsible. And then, 
But then when push comes to shove and time goes by, you realize just how untrustworthy people are. Or how un- I'm not trying to paint a picture here that you walk out here and you don't trust anyone, you don't do anything, there's no such thing that ever exists. But it's hard to find today because everybody is not... No, Many people are pushing their responsibility on somebody else for their actions, their attitudes, and the way they live. You don't have to look far. Look in our nation. Look in our homes. Look in our school. Look at our places of employment. And responsibility is like, yeah, no, I don't want that. I just want the good stuff. And then if something goes bad, you blame someone else. That's how it works. Being responsible is being consistent in fulfilling what is expected of you. Amen? It's being accountable for your actions. And reliability is something that's proven over time. It's not something that you prove just overnight because you say you're reliable. You know, um, back in the 80s, 90s, actually 90s, really, and even now, really, for example, the vehicle manufacturing, like Hondas, Toyotas, these Japanese cars, Asian vehicles, they were very reliable overall, very reliable, trustworthy, and and, and it was proven over time. And then, you know, cars manufacturers are catching up now, um, our own domestic manufacturers, because of technology and engineering, they share everything and ideas and parts and all that. But it was proven over time. And then you'd have a car that runs out there for 20, 25 years and it never even had like one engine issue where you had other manufacturers and you had three in one year after the second year. You know, things like that. It's proven over time. You don't buy it and say after one day, oh, that's reliable. That is a reliable car. I've had it for a day and it's awesome. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) It takes time. It proves its reliability over time. And it's the same way it is with our reputation, our character, and with the responsibility that we have to stay on mission to do what God wants us to do and to maintain our character and to display the glory of God to those around us and to do the right thing. So, you know, the thing is, all it takes is one moment to lose your reputation as someone to be counted on. I'm going to stick with the car manufacturer thing just really quick. This happened with Honda about a year or two ago. They had this airbag issue, and then they had other things, and they had to redo them again and again, and they had, the reliability wasn't there. And then they had some design flaws in what happened, and they had to recover for that. It took them over a year and a half to struggle and to come back and to reclaim their title as being a reliable car manufacturer. Not that they're not. But it took one incident, and oh, forget it, too many recalls in one year. They're not reliable. And so their sales went down a little bit and they struggled and people were questioning and wondering. It's one thing. The same thing happens in our life. You know what happens in your relationships when your trust is broken, when you don't prove yourself responsible. It's hard and it takes time. Whether it's your spouse, your kids, or others you work with, or other people in your family, other networks you have, it takes time to regain trust. It doesn't come back in one night. Can it? Sure. But it takes time. It takes time and it's proven. Joseph knew and being responsible, he was so responsible, he knew that he had to take care of his master's goods. Everything that was given to him, we read that in the first few verses here in chapter um, that we read. It says here that everything was given in his care. Didn't worry about anything. He was responsible and he kept getting more and more through his ministry. And I encourage you, or his life, I encourage you to read the rest of Genesis. There are many uh, times that God keeps promoting him. And even in the places that seemed dark, God was with him and things went well. Because he was responsible and he did what he was supposed to do all the time. Much as he could anyway. When we are irresponsible, here's what happens, right? We tend to blame others, right? 
Right? That's a great mark of irresponsibility. We blame others, or we blame a situation, or we blame our environment. We blame, we blame the way we're wired. We blamed our emotions. We blame our, well, the list goes on and on and on. That is a, that's a tipping, it's a, it's a tip of the iceberg, and it, it's a flag that tells us there might be some irresponsibility there. Now, I'm not telling you to walk around and look at everybody and, walk, and see if there's a flag above them, and if they're irresponsible. I'm just saying that that is a mark of irresponsibility a lot of times. We're blame shifting. We're, we're, we're blaming everybody else. We're not being accountable. We're not taking responsibility. We, 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 we sulk away and we isolate and whatever and we're not responsible to do what we're supposed to do because we don't want somebody asking us if we're doing what we're doing. And what Joseph did was very visible and he was responsible and kept getting promoted because he maintained and lived responsibly. Do your best. You know, sometimes we, we, we feel like we can't be responsible because we're not equipped or we can't do well. When you're given a task or you're charged with something and God gives you something to do, or whatever it is in your life, whatever calls you have, positions, roles you have, do your best. Do your best. We get, I get trapped into this. You get trapped into this because of time, because of the way you feel, our emotions. Whatever, and those are all real factors. But if we don't do our best, then we're kind of falling short of what God wants us to do. He can help us with that. And he's merciful. Praise God for that. But he wants us to do our best. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, the Apostle Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who enabled me and that he counted me faithful. I'm responsible, I'm reliable, I'm trustworthy, and he put me into the ministry. He already exhibited that he's all in, he's responsible, and he'll do it, and you can count on him. You know why? Because he was a zealot above all zealots. Meaning, as a Pharisee who was persecuting the church, he was all in and he did it faithfully. And you could count on him to do that. And now God changes his heart. And God could count on him to be one that's faithful to advance the gospel and to build up the church and to glorify God in all that he did instead of destroy God's people and and to try to uh, subvert the working of the Holy Spirit in the church. The greatest reward... For good work is more work. Doesn't sound good, does it? But it's true. I mean, the contractors who build homes, if they build shabby homes and they have issues in the first five years, they're going to be out of jobs building homes and they're, gonna, they're not going to get a lot of contracts. Right? You do it well, you're going to have, you're going to be overwhelmed. You have to turn down jobs because it's just too much because you, you're doing a good job. In Colossians 3, verse 23 and 24, Paul says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. We know this scripture. You're not working for your boss. Yes, you are, but you're not. You're working for Jesus first. Are you reflecting your devotion and your accountability to him first when you work for your human boss? And since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving Paul says, don't do it because you're obligated, but because God gave it to you and called you to it. And he put you where you are now, just like Joseph. And Joseph was responsible. When you're responsible, you know, when you stop being, uh, when you're irresponsible, you put things off, you don't do them, you do it your own way and you don't follow through, you don't do your best. You know what happens is when you're in the sea of life, you, you start sinking and you start doing this. And then you're trying to make up for all the things that, that, you, that you didn't do, you should have done. And now you're, now you're struggling. And you're, you're not near, but you're too proud to call for help. And you're going down further and you're thinking, oh, I'll fix it. I can make it. And you're going further and further because you've been irresponsible. 
making up for all those things you didn't do. And then you expect others to pick up for you. And thank God that that happens sometimes. We encourage each other, we help each other, right? But, but this is a different thing. We mean neglect it. Whatever you do, do it for the Lord. Our obligations are many, but by God's strength, you can do it. You know, we have all these responsibilities of believers, and the list goes on and on. For example, we're supposed to have a pure heart. We're supposed to love without condition. We're supposed to, we have an obligation to the church, the body of Christ. We have an obligation to be a witness. We have an obligation to know the word. We have an obligation to pray. And I hate that word obligation because it sounds so mechanical, but it is. It's something that we naturally do that we, God, because of our relationship with Christ, we do and we are accountable, responsible to do these things. If you're a parent, you have a responsibility to parent. If you are a student, you have a responsibility to study. If you don't study, you're not a student. If you don't discipline your child, you're not a parent. Ooh, I know some of you don't like that, but it's the truth. It's the truth. Absolute truth. If you're an employee, you got to work. Don't get mad when you lose your job because you're finding, you're working harder to find a way to not work. <laughs> Do your work, right? But we have, and, and these, this is just, the list could go, I understand. Life is busy. We have a lot of obligations. We have a lot of things we do. But do your best. Be responsible. God will help you. I promise you, he, won't, he said he won't leave you. And if he's with you, you'll succeed when you rely on him and you ask him to help you. And the list is wrong, but when your attitude is right and you lean on God, you can do it. God will help you do it and do what he wants you to do. Joseph was blessed by God and did his job responsibly even when he wasn't in the courts of Potiphar. Joseph was loyal to God. Throughout his whole story, you can read that. He was loyal to God. So he was responsible. Secondly, Joseph fled temptation. If you're going to be unsinkable, you're going to say no to temptation. And I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this. And, we, and there's only one more after this, really. A really quick one. It really is. Because it, it, it really gets, if you can do this, be responsible, and if you can flee temptation, everything else will fall into line. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, and then we'll see Joseph's situation. Flee youthful lusts. Now, when he writes this to Christians, it's not an idea. It's not a suggestion. It's not a proposal to consider and meditate on. And then if you really come to that conclusion on your own and you agree with it, you can do it 10 years later. He's saying flee youthful lusts. Do it now. Flee youthful lusts. The thing that allures you will never leave you. You know that? And, 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 the, uh, and just a few verses after our text this morning, Joseph finds himself alone with Potiphar's wife. You know the story? All alone. Life is going great. He's in charge. It's all going great. I got me eating all kinds of awesome food and delicacies. I'm telling people what to do. I got all, all anything I want to wear, I can wear. I, can, I mean, I can make my own schedule. I'm at peace with Egypt and the world. Everything's great, man. That's when it happens, man. That's when that rogue wave comes. It's silent, but it comes quick, doesn't it? Potiphar's wife, she's a rogue wave. She's coming quick, and, and she's been watching. She's been approaching, and now she's right on him. And she says, listen, Joseph, man. I want you, and, we're gonna, and I'm going to have you right now. Come on. We know the story. 
Joseph leaves his cloak and runs away. He runs away as far as possible for that. He does what Paul already said centuries later. He says, flee youthful lusts, that he said to young Timothy. Flee youthful lusts. Run away from that. You know, Potiphar for his wife. And maybe there was that little allure of that desire for power. Joseph already had all that. But now if he has even more favor because, well, he did what Potiphar's wife wanted and satisfied her. And he'll have her word or her favor or whatever, that there could be even a little more power or favor. It, it, it doesn't seem like much, but it could have been. He had to say, no, I'm not going there. Even yielding for just a moment and giving in to temptation could have been a, well, fatal mistake. Temptations often come, and they always come, actually, in times of prosperity and ease. Things go well, watch out. Don't let your guard down. Potiphar's happy. He's ruler of the house. And what about you and me? Do we find ourselves in that situation? Everything's going well. We're coasting in life. Be on the alert. They come when your guard is down. Jesus said to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, they're praying. And Jesus is about to fulfill his mission. He's being responsible. And he's resisting temptation. He passed the test after his baptism in the wilderness. And those three temptations that Satan brought him, he passed. And his whole life, the Bible says he never sinned once. And he's there praying, getting to the finish line of dying on that cross. And his disciples couldn't pray. And he comes and sees them three times. And he says, watch and pray. He says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Why? Watch and pray so you don't fall into temptation. Watch and pray. Be on guard. Stay alert. We've got to say no. No, no, no. It's all you got to do. Run, run, run away from this thing. If it smells like it's bad or if it looks like it's bad, just get away, just to be safe. Get away as far away as you can so you don't fall into that temptation and do something that will tarnish your reputation. As responsible and loyal as you think you are, run away. Run away. In chapter 39 and verse 9, Joseph says to Potiphar's wife, How can I do this wicked thing? Because he couldn't. His loyalty was to God first and then to her husband, Potiphar. And everything of Potiphar's was under his care. I think Potiphar's wife was under his care too. It says he had to make sure he took care of her and respected her for who she was. And he had that in mind. He was responsible to keep all of his goods. And in the end, he kept getting promoted. Actually, he got in trouble. But then he got promoted. And that's a whole other story. The one thing that we have to do is rely on the Spirit of God and look into the, the prescriptions in the Word of God. And you know what? If we abide in Him, um, in 1 John 3, 6, it says that he that abides in Him, he sins not. There isn't going to be a pattern of us always falling into temptation we, we, and, and giving into it. We're going to say no and we can walk away from that and it's not a pattern in our lives. God is faithful and He'll help you overcome it. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted like us, and that's why he can aid us, it says, or help us in our temptations. He went through it all. He overcame it. You think you can't do it? Ask him to help you, and he will. He'll do it. God knows our weakness, and that's when we ought to draw on his strength. See, there's this this persistence of temptations. They keep coming back over and over again. In chapter uh, 39 and verse 10, she keeps coming back. The same ones keep coming there. She keeps pursuing. She wants The temptation comes over and over and over again. And then there's the idea that there's the persuasion of temptation. We just, it's smooth. So, you know, just this once, it's all right. You know, if you do it now, God will forgive you later. Let me tell you if, you, if you adopt that approach to life, you need to question whether you belong to God or not. You really do, if it's a pattern in your life, to have that mentality. 
Well, if I just do it once, God will forgive me. It'll be okay. I'll, I'll fix it later. That is a really bad way to approach things, and it's an indicator of, of, of your heart, and it, it's, it's fruit that becomes exhibited in your life. Be careful of that. You know, I, I shared a story. Um, I know in one of my classes a while ago, and I know I shared it with some one-to-one, but maybe I shared it here. I don't remember. can't remember over all the years. But there's this story that somewhere in England, or in Europe, I should say, that there's this king way back when, and he, he had a carriage, horse-drawn carriage, and he was looking for a new carriage driver. And so he had three guys he's interviewing to, to see which one he would hire. The first guy comes, and he's all like, hey, I'm a great driver. I've been doing this for 30 years, you know, and um, my last, you know, king was, you know, I got this pay, this, all the benefits, whatever, right? He's, he's going. He's, he's selling himself, right? So he goes, all right, let's go. Take me for a ride. Let's do that three-mile loop up the mountainside around that, the big lake and then come back. So they get in, and the first guy goes, and he's like, he gets on it, and he's like, he's going over the speed limit, man. He's like, he's just going a little too fast. He's yelling at the horses. They're going quick. And he's like showing off how, how much control he has over those carriages, that carriage and those horses. And then he gets up by the mountain and there's cliffs there, the, 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 the steep sides of the mountain. And he's like, you know, maybe four or five feet away from the edge. And the king is looking over and he's kind of scared, but he's looking. He's like, wow, that's a pretty impressive view. I've never realized that that was that right there on the side of the mountain. I didn't see that angle before. That's pretty close, but I'm a little nervous. They get back and they get out. The second guy gets in. He gets in, he's even more brash and loud and just selling himself. And they get on, and he, this time he's really over the speed limit, like some people in here. He's really over the speed limit, right? He's flying, flying, flying. And he's going, and this time he's, he's really trying to show off his skill, and he's like right on the edge of that cliff, like for hundreds and hundreds of feet, just going. And he's got control. And the king's freaking out. He's impressed by the view, but he's freaking out. Then the third guy comes, and he sits down, and this guy, he get in, they do a slow start, he drives the speed limit, man. He's doing the speed limit. I know it's hard for us to do in Rhode Island. Anyway, it, he's driving the speed limit. Rules aren't meant to be broken. That's a, that, that is an approach and a philosophy and a worldview that is antithetical to God's way of how we ought to live our lives. And they get up to the edge of the thing, and he is right. At, there's rocks crumbling right off the edge, down the 300 foot, you know, cliff there, the face there. And the king, I'm sorry, he's, he's I messed it up. He's further away, and the king says, "You know what? Even before the trip is over, as the guy is 20 feet away from the edge, he says, you 'You're hired. You're hired.' They make the second half back, and they hire. And the other guys are wondering what's going on. And he says, "Listen, this guy, he cares for me." He's responsible, he's trustworthy, he's reliable, and he understands that he's carrying precious cargo. What about you and me? We take our journey and we feel like we're allowed to, because we're Christians, to go right on the edge. Like, and the faster, the better, the, close, the, the crazier the view, the more we involve ourselves with things that bring us to the edge. We think that that's what's going to work and that's what's going to last forever and it's all in the name of love. It's all because we accept this and that and it feels good and, and don't worry about it. God will take care of it later. He'll forgive you. God's gracious. Cheap grace. All kinds of different things. We go close to the edge as much as we want and Jesus says, I didn't call you to do that. I didn't call you to do that. I, 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 look, this thing right here says stay away from the edge. Be a Joseph and run away from temptations. What are you doing trying to get so close and live and, and cohabitate right next door, almost locking arms with those temptations? Do you think you're going to survive? I'm just, I'm getting fired up because this hat, we, I do it too, we do it. You're not going to. It's going to suck you in and it's going to pull you down. And you're going to have a big tumble. 
Run away from temptation. Far as you can and as fast as you can, run away. And then overcome negativity. Don't just say no to temptation, but Joseph also said no to negativity. We got to do the same thing. If anyone has reason to be negative, feel hopeless, neglected, or undervalued, it was Joseph. And do you you really know his story? These things are there. Every excuse in the book could have been thrown out to be negative and to have all these discouraged and depressed and constantly living with a cloud over his head. He could have had that. Not to mention many other characters in the Bible. And some went through that and God brought them through. Absolutely, it's a normal human response to things. But how long are you going to stay there? How long did he stay there? Actually, we don't really have evidence that he stayed there at all. How? How did he do it? Let me just say that. The way that you stay unsinkable is you overcome negativity by looking for people who need you and better yet, help those who need you. Don't turn a blind eye to those who need you and need assistance. Because if you do that, you're going to take your thoughts off of yourself and all your problems and all the worries that you have that have you down. The more you keep looking inward, the longer you stay there. And Joseph, for example, remember what happened? So he goes into prison because Potiphar's wife yells and screams and they come and then she blames Joseph for wanting to do the thing that she wanted to do. And he gets in trouble and Potiphar gets really upset and he's in prison. And there's a a, a cupbearer and a baker that are in prison with him. And they have dreams. And Joseph already, of course, way back when he was a kid, had dreams and, 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 and he shares them with his family. And this time... He said, oh, I know, I can interpret that dream. And he tells him what it is. And, and basically the conclusion was that that baker was going to die in three days. That was going to be a sentence. He's done. And then the cupbearer gets the news in the same room and he hears, oh, you're going to be fine. You're going to be all set. You're gonna, if, just to paraphrase, you're going to be all good. So they walk out and the cupbearer says something. He says, you know what? I'm never going to forget you when I get out. And in the end, he does forget him. All right? And it's a whole, it's, 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 a, it's troubling, it's frustrating, and it, gets, it, can, it can make you down and get you depressed and, and wonder, if, what about people's words? What about what I did for him? Don't I deserve that? And all the questions that come. But he had a positive attitude. Someone said, I don't know who it is, I'm sure many have said this, that life is 10% what happens to us, and it's 90% how we respond to what happens to us. Do you look at your life and God's plan for you and the mission that he's given you, us, the church, as half over? Or do you look at it as half fulfilled? The Apostle Paul, as well as many other apostles and those in the Bible, all the characters that we read about, most of them that were faithful to God through it all, they kept their head up and they knew that God had a plan. They stayed on mission. They were responsible. They ran away from temptation. Does it mean they were perfect? But that was their pattern. They ran away from it and they stayed positive because they knew that God was with them. Listen, I'm convinced as we come to a close, I am convinced that the reason so many people sink is not just because they're irresponsible, not just because they give in a temptation. Of course those things sink you down. But the single one thing that comes in the way and and weighs us down like these huge lead weights on our ankles while we're falling overboard is the idea that that people hold grudges. Let me just finish my thoughts here. Because this is very serious and very important. The idea that people don't forgive. They don't let go. They don't work things through. They don't communicate. They don't, they, it's, it's, 
Listen, there's a, there's, the situation is this with Joseph. After all these years, he's in this ruling position in Egypt. There's a famine in the land. And just like he had, he had interpreted a dream earlier by one of the leaders in, in Egypt. And there's seven years that would be of prosperity. But there's, there's a lot of uh, reserves they had. And then there's seven years of famine. But, but they stored it up. And, and now people are coming to Egypt to get food. And so Joseph's family who thinks he's long and gone, come to get food and to, to satisfy and to meet the need of, of their hunger and that the fact that they're starving. Egypt has plenty of food. And in Genesis chapter 42, Jacob says to his brothers, guys, go to Egypt. They've got food. Just leave Benjamin here. And they all think that Joseph is long gone. I don't know about the brothers. Maybe most of them were like, yeah, I don't even know who Joseph is. Probably forgot about him. And in Egypt, at the same time, Joseph maybe is thinking, I don't know anything about my family. I haven't thought about them. They crossed my mind, but I don't know where they are. I don't know. I'm, I'm far, far away. I haven't seen them. I don't know what's going on. And they show up and they come. And in verse 6 in chapter 42, his brothers bow down to him. He didn't recognize him yet. Not until verse 7 and 9. The next verse, he finally recognized, once they bowed down, and he realizes, oh, these are my brothers. He recognizes them. And his dream comes true. The sheaves fall falling down, and they're coming to get grain from him, from the Egyptians, and they bow down. And, and they don't even know that it's him, but he recognizes them. And I wonder how he felt. I wonder how he felt. After all the stuff they did, after everything he went through as a result of them throwing them into that dry cistern, I wonder how he felt. Was he angry? Was he hateful? Did he despise them? Was he disgusted with them? Was he, you fill in every negative term you want. And I wonder if it was there. And I would contend that even though it crossed his mind, he did not feel those things. Not really. Not really. He didn't freak out. He was broken. He walked out of the room and he wept, the Bible says, because he realized who they were and what was going on. And how God had kept him all this time through everything he went through, even though his brothers did all this stuff and everything that went on um, through his crazy journey. He probably felt forgotten in verse 11 to 15. He felt forgotten and brothers revealed to him the situation at home. They tell him that dad's okay, little Ben's okay, Benjamin's okay, but Joseph, he's gone and they're talking to him. In verse 21 and 24 in chapter 42, the, you know, when you, when you, it just reveals something. When you have done wrong to someone and you haven't gone through the necessary process to make things right with others in God, when you don't deal with transgression and sin, you become the victim of the very situation that you put that person through. Joseph has to go weep. He knew why they were breaking. He was in the dungeon long enough. He was imprisoned. He was up and down. He was accused. All, his character was accused. All that. But Joseph had no lists to keep. He had no lists. This morning, are you keeping a list? Are you keeping a list? Because when you do, you know what happens? And yes, I'll tell you from experience, when you keep a list, I don't care if it has one thing on it or if it has a thousand, when you keep a list, there is a growing insensitivity towards God. 
It's true. It's true. And then that allows a thickness and a hardness to cover your heart and you get callous. Not only toward God, but the people you're having a grudge against and you have a list against of grievances and whatever. Can I just tell you, it's no way to live. It's no way to live. Matthew 6, Mark 11, throughout Jesus' teachings and the God, we, are, we ought to forgive. We have to, we've said that in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you forgive others, you'll be forgiven. I think Jesus said that, not my words. Boy, he didn't keep a list and instead he reveals who he is and he blesses his brothers. He, he plays a little game with them, but he, he blesses them and they return home with food. What about the idea that you're also not allowed to take revenge? Joseph didn't take revenge because he had grudges and he was upset. We try to do things to hurt other people and to get back at them. Joseph didn't do that. The cupbearer in prison who forgot him for those two extra years that he was there because he forgot him, didn't speak up for him. The one who, that he helped out and encouraged him that he'd live and everything was okay, he forgot him and Joseph was in two prison for two more years. And when Joseph got out, when he was in that ruling position, he could have taken his life and taken him out, but he didn't do it. He didn't use his authority for that. Because you know what? Vengeance and revenge and all that payback belongs to God, not you. All of this is summarized by this. The only reason that Joseph could be unsinkable, the way that you can be unsinkable, not to mention that you have to do it by being responsible, running away and resisting and saying no to temptation, those are all fine. We have to do that because those will weigh you down and bring you down for sure, without a doubt. And that he kept... No list and he wasn't negative, he stayed positive and his attitude was proper is all because he knew how to yield to God. If he couldn't yield to God from the beginning to the end, he wouldn't have been where he was. He understood that God had a plan and it's not about what happens or doesn't happen to me, but it's that God's in charge. And regardless of what situation I'm in, I'll be responsible, I'll say no to sin and I'm going to be positive. Yielding to God. Have you done that today? Maybe you're here today, you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And maybe you've got, you have a, a view of God that is, it could be whatever, all over the place. But Jesus had a mission, and it was to save you. And Jesus did it responsibly, he did it without sin, and he did it positively. And it was because he yielded to God, his Father, so that he could do his will and bring him glory. Are we doing the same? See that God is God this morning. Surrender, give up all your ways that have been falling short, and then submit to his ways. Adopt them as your own. And then the conclusion of your life, when you leave, you'll start on a path so that one day, at the end of your life, you could do something like this. Through all the waves, the calm, the anger, the joy, the frustration, the fulfillment, the loneliness, the acceptance, and everything in between, and anything else you experience in life. If you're responsible, if you run from temptation, if you resist negativity, all because you yield to God's control, you can say what Joseph said in chapter 50 of verse 20. You intended to harm me or to plot evil against me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Did you catch the end? The saving of many lives. Why are you here? All the stuff you go through. It's because God has a plan. 
No matter if it's your close family, no matter if people hurt you, no matter if you think you have a list, get rid of it, submit to God, yield to him, start being positive, start resisting temptation, be responsible, do what you're supposed to do, and do it now, don't wait. And in the end, you can have a testimony like this. You can say, you know what, everything that happened, all the people, all the circumstances, you tried to destroy me, Satan, or that group of people, or that individual, you tried to bring me down. But God had a plan. It's not to harm me, but to save many lives. The way we do that is by living for him and sharing him. Are we doing that? It's my last question. I've held you long enough. But we can be unsinkable. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the life of Joseph, Lord. There are so many nuggets of truth and principles that we can learn, Lord. Many that we haven't even discussed. But Lord, I pray that as we leave this morning, your Holy Spirit would take uh, the life of Joseph and these principles and these truths, Lord God, and just cause them to produce fruit in our lives as we yield to you, your control, your plan, and help us to stay on mission, Lord God, for the saving of many lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a wonderful day.